I really like Thanksgiving weekend, the Sunday sort of after Thanksgiving. Uh, it's lots of fun to see uh, family members home, college students. It was great to see Leah up here helping lead us in worship. Uh, Leah was part of our high school ministry at Calvary, and while she was here, she was also part of our praise uh, and worship team uh, during time in high school. She has uh, left, and I'm super proud of her. She's gone off and is studying engineering at Ohio State, and I think... <laughs> Now, I'm going to take that to be about a football game (laughs) and not about the fact that a daughter of this church is doing a super difficult program at a really good engineering school and that I personally could not be more proud of her. Because, yes, in the end, we don't care who wins football games. Uh, Well, we do a little, but we don't really care. Uh, so it's so great to see Leah. I e- she emailed a couple of weeks ago and said uh, she's got a great church in Columbus uh, that she's going to and that uh, she had just emailed that she had listened to a sermon when, uh, during a season of her life from Calvary that she was responding to and she just wanted to say thank you for that. And uh, I was like, well, next time you're in town, we would love to have you be part of uh, leading worship again. And so it's really great to see her back here and to be able to, to, to realize, you know what? The Lord sent her off to go do this amazing thing that I'm super proud of. Uh, it's fun to see her back. And that's one of the great things about Thanksgiving is you've got kids that go off to college uh, and they come back and you get to see them. Sometimes families that are spread out are able to come back together again at Thanksgiving. Friends, I love Friendsgiving. Uh, whoever came up with that idea, that's a fantastic idea. That's really what this is supposed to be about. But sometimes, friends, you haven't seen for a while, this is a time to get back together again and to sort of reconnect with one another. Um, maybe people even from church that you haven't seen in this setting or in another. Maybe on Wednesday night you came and you saw them and One of the beautiful things about this time of year is reconnecting with people who have sort of spread out and gone all different directions and done all sorts of different things. But if we're honest, reconnecting with those who have spread out brings some challenges with it. Perhaps there's a college student that's gone off to college and interacted with some new ideas about politics or race or philosophy or whatever it may be, and they're working hard to integrate what they've heard into their Christian worldview, and there can be some challenges in trying to work all of that through. Maybe one of the family members in your extended family has a new baby, and that change has brought some changes into schedules and how you interact with one another and when nap time is and all of those kinds of things, and It's difficult to adjust to this new thing. Maybe one of your friends went with indwelling church or has gone to be part of sanctuary or new heart and is part of one of Calvary's church plants and that's been fantastic. But as you get back together again for Friendsgiving, they're talking about different servants and different worship services and your discussions about church are different than they had been before. Maybe you've seen a family member that's gone overseas or a friend that's moved to a different part of the country that has come home to visit and you realize pretty soon into the dinner or the time hanging out together, well, they've had some different experiences and we're trying to work through these differences together. Maybe uh, someone in your circle of friends or acquaintances has gotten a new job in the medical community 
And their discussion about COVID this year is different than it was last year. You see, the more we sort of spread out, the more we experience differences. We meet different people. We have different opportunities. We're changed. And when we get back together again, there's some challenges associated with that. And we have to work through those. Now, on one hand, you could think, well, let's just not ever go anywhere. Everyone stay right here. We hold everybody really close and stay close together. You could do that, but I don't think that's really God's plan. I think God's plan is for us to have a lot of experiences, a lot of different things, to move here, to go there, to do this, to do that, to engage with this. Because I believe what God loves best is unity in diversity. Much more than uniformity, everybody looking the same, acting the same, thinking the same, saying the same thing. God loves unity in diversity. In fact, I'm going to argue today that that's his plan. That's his plan for the human race, specifically as it relates to racial and ethnic diversity. In fact, I'd like to look together this morning at God's plan for how he wants unity in a diversity of cultures and races and backgrounds. So if you would, would you take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis? Now we're gonna be in Genesis 10, but we gotta start in Genesis 9. So Genesis 9 is page six in the church Bibles. <clears throat> we're gonna be looking at Genesis 10 and 11 this morning. But before we do, we have to be reminded what God's marching orders were to humanity after the flood. In Genesis 9, the flood is over. God has wiped out the uh, sinful humanity and is starting over again with Noah and his children. And God gives a very specific command to Noah and his descendants, chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase and fill the earth. Verse seven, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. God says to Noah and all the descendants after him, hey look, you got a whole giant planet here. The plan is, don't just stay where the ark landed. Go spread out and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. God says, I want the earth full. And I entrust that to you. Well, that brings us to Genesis 10. This is God's command and it reflects his heart. He wants people not to stay in one place, but to spread out and fill the earth. Genesis 10 is the record that that happened. Genesis 10 is one of those chapters that we would usually just skip over. It's what we call a genealogy, but this one's a very special genealogy. You'll notice how the NIV entitles it, the table of nations. And what's listed in Genesis 10 are from Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, come all the nations of the world. And we have 70 nations listed here in Genesis 10. Now, there's obviously a lot more nations today than 70, but in Genesis 10, the idea is, is that people are spreading out and filling the earth, and the result is a diversity of people groups 
nations, ethnicities, and backgrounds. Now, if you read through the list, which we're not going to this morning, most of the names you probably wouldn't recognize. You might recognize Egypt or Cush or places like that, but not very many. However, scholars have gone through and tried to figure out which nations or people groups some of these names represented. I've got a map up here that will show you at least our best guess of what some of these names represent. We think we have names in this list that represent East Asia, Russia, now you understand, not the sort of the modern nation of Russia, but people groups living in that part of the world. Turkey, Iran, Cyprus, Armenia, the Arabian Peninsula, Greece, Rhodes, Italy, Spain, Germany, Libya, and maybe even Mexico. And the idea here is in Genesis 10, the nations of the world, this is God's plan. He commanded Noah and all his descendants, go fill the earth, this is what I want. I want a map that's got a lot of nations on it. In fact, look in Genesis 10, verse 5. From these maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. This was God's plan. Spread out. Do you see that word? Spread out into the nations. Develop new languages. Look at the end of chapter 10, verse 32. This is the summary statement. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out, there's our word again, spread out over the earth after the flood. Genesis 9, the command is, don't stay in one place. Go spread out, fill the earth, because the goal is Genesis 10. We don't want one nation. We don't want one language. We want a diversity of nations, a diversity of peoples, a diversity of cultures, and God knows full well if people spread out on the earth, differences will evolve. Different languages, different people groups, different ethnicities, different races. Question, what color was Noah's skin? Nobody knows. Could be white, olive colored, brown, no idea. But what we do know is every skin color in this room and around the world came from Noah's genetic material. And who put that genetic material there? God. This was always the plan. When God created Adam, when God created Noah, the plan was for there to be a diversity of skin colors, a diversity of races. This is not an accident. This is the plan. And God says to Noah, go fill the earth because Genesis 10 is what he wants. This is the goal. Genesis 10 is the success story. The nations of the earth exist because God placed in Adam and in Eve the genetic possibility of all these different races, cultures, languages, and experiences. 
One more thing about Genesis 10. It also declares God's love for all nations. God does not love just one nation. God loves all nations. The list in Genesis 10 are the nations that have come about because of God's creative power. That God has created the nations of the world, that they exist not by accident or by choice, but because this is God's divine design. Now, if you're familiar at all with Christianity or with the Old Testament, you may think, well, what about Israel? Aren't they kind of like a special nation? I want you to look in verse 21 of Genesis 10. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Now Shem is the name from which we get the term Semitic or Semite. Eber is the name from which we get the term Hebrew. So the nation of Israel will come out of verse 21. They are Hebrews and a Semitic people. But what's extremely important is the nation of Israel is not listed by name in Genesis 10. And that's because Genesis 10 is proclaiming God's love for all nations, all the nations of the earth. Yes, ultimately including Israel, but God doesn't even make Israel explicit in this list. All 70 nations listed here and all subsequent nations are at the heart of who God is and what he wants. So what's the deal with Israel then? Because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament about Israel. Well, let me give you an example of what I think is happening from Genesis 10 on into the rest of the Old Testament. Can we pull up this Wikipedia page? Here's a Wikipedia page, and it's the list of sovereign states. If you look this up on Wikipedia, this is what you're going to get. Scroll down through that. Okay, see lots of countries? That's basically Genesis 10. It's a list of nations. Now if we scroll through that, we'll see one of the nations is called Israel. Go ahead and click on that link. When you click on the Israel link, there's a lot of information about Israel. You can scroll through that. Look at all that stuff. Now, you know enough about Wikipedia and about the, how the internet works. Because we're looking at this page and it's got lots of stuff on it, does that mean all the other countries' pages are blank? No, it just means we're not reading those pages right now. This is how the Old Testament works. In Genesis 10, it's like there's a hyperlink in verse 21. And God clicks on the link because it's for Israel. And the, most of the Old Testament is telling Israel's story. We hear about some other nations, but as they interact with Israel. That doesn't mean that God loves Israel more than he likes everybody else. It just means we can only read one country's page at a time here. And so we're focused on the nation of Israel. But meanwhile, while we're reading this, God is busy in all the other nations of the world populating their pages. 
Amos makes it quite clear that God was just as at work in the other nations as he was in Israel. So what is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is us reading the story of a very particular nation that God is at work in, but we are never to take that to mean that God somehow loves this nation more than he loves other nations. And Genesis 10 is the declaration that God loves all the nations of the world. They are all descendants of Noah. They are all his creation. Maybe I could say it this way. God did not create the nations of the world because he loves Israel. God created Israel because he loves the nations of the world. This is God's plan. A diversity of races, ethnicities, and people groups. But as everything, with everything that God plans, there's always resistance from sinful humans. The story of that resistance is in the beginning of Genesis 11. Now in just a second, we're going to look at Genesis 11, but I need to tell you, Genesis 11 is happening kind of before Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is the summary statement that humans spread out and filled the earth. Genesis 11 gives us some more details about how this had to come about because we didn't willingly do it on our own. So Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, when I first heard the sort of Sunday school version of the Tower of Babel, the version I heard, and this might be the version you heard, was that there was a group of people who were really arrogant and decided they wanted to build a super, super tall tower that reached up into the clouds, and God didn't like the fact that their tower was so tall, and so he came down, confused their language, and stopped them from building the super tall tower. There's some truth to that, but there's so much more to the story than just don't build super tall towers. What was the command they're supposed to be following? Spread out and fill the earth. Why are they building this tower? So that they don't have to be scattered, so they don't have to spread out. The purpose of the tower was not to set some sort of height record. The purpose of the tower was, hey, look, why would anybody go anywhere else? Stay right here. We've got such a great tower. We've got such a great city. They're trying to stop from obeying what God's asked them to do. The purpose of the tower is in defiance of God. But there's no commands about how tall you can build a tower. The command is spread out. And the people are saying, but if we build a good enough tower, if our city is big enough, if our city is wonderful enough, then people won't leave. They'll just stay right here and stay with us. 
Verse five, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Did you hear that this is much more about spreading out than it is about building towers? God, it's so important to God, so essential that the nations develop, that languages come to be, that races and ethnicities that he put into Noah and to Adam come to fruition. That when humans refuse to do it, God simply says, we cannot let this stand. And so he comes, and what humans won't do on their own, God kickstarts. And the reason he creates these languages is because he is absolutely going to get a multiplicity of cultures. This is the plan. This is what he wants to have happen. Now, it was interesting in studying these two passages this week, I noticed for the first time, the Hebrew word in Genesis 10 for spread out is a different word than the word in verse 11, or sorry, in chapter 11, for scatter. And here, I think, is the point, and it relates to a lot more than just racial and ethnic diversity. God's plan is for all of us to spread out, to send our kids off to college, to welcome in new people, to move to different parts of the country, to go to schools that other people haven't gone to, to have experiences that are different than what our parents have, to take new jobs, to move and be missionaries in other parts of the world, to continue to spread out. This is his plan. Why? Because he wants all of us to have different experiences, to come in contact with different people, to form and experience different thoughts, to learn new languages, to engage in different sorts of ways. If we don't want to plant churches, if we don't want to send missionaries, if we don't want to let anybody leave West Michigan, we're going to try to build a church or a family or a school or a tower so tall to say, don't go anywhere, stay right here. If we don't choose to spread out, God is going to scatter us. If we don't choose to plant churches and encourage people, look, we would want you to stay at Calvary forever, but God has a bigger kingdom. If we don't send our kids off to some experience outside our own home when they grow up, God's going to scatter them. If we don't allow people to move to new places and have new experiences, God's going to make it happen. Diversity is so important to God that if we won't do it, he will make it happen. So my encouragement, better to obey and spread out than to force his hand. He's going to get what he wants one way or the other. The tighter we hold on to our families, our friends, our churches, our communities, our schools, the more it's gonna hurt when he pries our fingers off of them. Now, why is all this diversity so important? 
Why does God want people to spread out? Now here again, we're thinking most specifically about with regards to ethnicity and race. Well, Genesis 10 and 11 only gives you part of the story. To understand God's plan, we have to look at the second half of the story. For this, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts 2 is page 883 in the church Bibles. Now I want you to think metaphorically of what you're doing while you're turning pages. Effectively, what you're doing is you're scrolling through Israel's webpage. Okay, you clicked on Israel from Genesis 10. We clicked on verse 21. We got Israel's webpage. We scrolled through Israel's webpage. And when we list sort of important Israelites, we're gonna scroll through lots of them like David and Solomon and Abraham. And we're gonna get to the name of one very particular Israelite. And his name is Jesus. And when we click on his webpage, we open up into four gospels. And they're telling the story of one person. And the point is from one man, Adam or Noah, however you want to think about it, from one man came all the peoples of the world. And as we span out and scan out to all the nations of the world, we then start narrowing back down until we get to one human being again. The person, Jesus, who although fully human, also happens to be the creator of all people the one who placed in Adam all the genetic material that we now see manifesting itself in various cultures and races and skin colors in this world. That person, the creator of all things, has come to earth as an Israelite. And the Gospels tell his story. They climax, they culminate in the story of Jesus, the creator of all things, giving his life so that he might save not just Israel, but all nations on earth from Satan, sin, and death. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, he says to his disciples, wait right here in Jerusalem until I send you the Holy Spirit, God's very spirit to be poured out on you. Acts 2 tells the story of the coming of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from where? Every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does it mean? It means that God is overcoming Genesis 11 in Acts 2. 
He created all of these separate languages so that he might bring the diversity of cultures and people and races back together under the one person who can actually unite us all. That when you spread out and you experience differences, when you come back together again, if you can get unity out of diversity, that is far, far more powerful than simply uniformity. And God's plan was always to create a multiplicity of nations and languages and people groups and cultures so that when the creator of all of that came to this earth and died and was raised from the dead, in him, God could bring all things back together. And Acts 2 is the parallel miracle to Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, God miraculously creates languages. In Acts 2, God miraculously overcomes the problem of languages to bring people back together in Jesus. And God's point is, he loves diversity. But he especially loves unity in diversity. And he knows there's only one person who is glorious enough, majestic enough, worthy enough that can bring all peoples back together again. Have we not seen that? Is there anything else in this world that can bring racial harmony? Is there anything else that we can all agree on is there anything else in every country and tribe and language and tongue that is pure enough, good enough, wonderful enough, holy enough to unite the various cultures and races and backgrounds of this world? There is not. Just one. Jesus. One more New Testament passage to show you how this comes to fruition. Romans 16 Romans 16 is page 923. Romans 16 comes at the end of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. And when you glance through the long list of names at the end of Romans 16, you and I are supposed to think Genesis 10. Because if Acts 2 goes with Genesis 11, Romans 16 goes with Genesis 10. Here in a particular local church, we see a list of names. And although we don't know everybody on this list, we know enough about the people in this list and the names that they have to recognize that of these 26 names that are here, there is a lot of ethnic diversity. We have Jews and Gentiles. That's quite clear. We know that Rufus, we're pretty sure he's black North African. We think Epinetus is from Asia Minor. We know that Aquila is from Pontus. We know that Aristobulus is from Edom. 
When we look at these names, we see Hebrew names, Greek names, Latin names, and Roman names. And what you get is in a particular church, the fulfillment of God's plan of unity in diversity. It's not just a theory or an idea, something that kind of happened in Acts 2. This is God's plan. This is what he's driving for, is that on every Sunday, a diverse gathering of people gets together in one place to worship the one Lord and Savior. Why? Because this will proclaim God's love not for one nation or one people group, but for all the nations of the world. And this will proclaim that only Jesus is good enough, powerful enough, righteous enough to bring together the various peoples of the earth. Now make no mistake about it, anytime you bring diversity together, there are challenges. And the book of Romans is written to address especially racial and ethnic tensions that the church in Rome was experiencing because of the presence of these various national groups and ethnicities and races. But unity in diversity is far, far better than uniformity. And God is not interested in having everybody being from one nation, speaking one language, looking exactly the same, thinking the same, acting the same. What he's interested in is people from every tribe, nation, and tongue gathered together weekly to worship the one creator of us all, the one savior who gave his life for us. This was not just God's goal for the church in Rome. It's God's plan for all churches and for Calvary. I rejoice that when I look out in this group that there is more racial and ethnic diversity than there was 15 or 16 years ago when I started. I also realize we have a long way to go. I'm grateful that this sermon right now being translated into Korean for people in our congregation to be able to hear this in their native language. I'm grateful for a ministry to refugees to reach out to people from other countries. I'm grateful for great partners from Poland who will come and join us and be part of what we're doing here and let us come. Uh, James and I went to visit them uh, a few years ago to be able to be part of each other's churches and be part of each other's lives. I'm grateful for those things. And I just simply want to say, we've got more work to do. It's difficult, it's hard, but this is the plan. And if we won't make this happen, God will make it happen for us. And if we won't both spread out and welcome people who have been spread out back in, different and changed and adapt to who they are and try to fix who we are because of the diversity they brought, God is going to make it happen without us. I would rather have him do it with us. This is the plan. This is the goal. This is what we pray for. This is what we labor for. This is what we work for. This is what we hope for. It's not without its difficulties. Musical styles, preaching styles, programming, how people interact, the way people think about money, how they think about ministry, how they interact with one another, how they come to things. 
no end to the number of challenges. But is he worthy? Is he worth us doing this for him? Remember, he created every single nation on the planet. And he loves every single person on the planet. And that when we gather together, when we fight to get unity out of diversity, it proclaims to the world that God does not just love Americans, or God doesn't just love white people, or God just doesn't love Koreans. God loves the whole world. And it's worth it. He's worthy. Let me close with the final picture of where this is headed. It's already been written out, even though it's coming in the future. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the Lord, before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and all around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.